Wasn't that a nice shirt my son was wearing while giving announcements? <laughs> There's three things that we should teach our children. A love for God, a good worth ethic, and a love for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Those are the three things that we feel strongly about in our home. A man goes to the local Mason Lodge and says he wants to be a member. He wants to be a Mason, and so he meets with the Grand Poobah, whatever he is, and he finds out that he has to do a certain set of requirements, recite some passages from their book, and he's in. And so he does that, and he becomes a Mason. Several years pass, and he decides that he wants to be one of the fraternal order of Oddfellows. And so he goes and speaks to them, and he says, I want to join your club. And they say, well, here are the requirements. And he learns that it's basically the same requirements to be a Mason. And he tells their grand poobah, or whoever it is, hey, I I've met all these requirements before when I was going to be a Mason. And he goes, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you met the requirements before, you've got to meet them again, because being a Mason doesn't make you an odd fellow. Now take that same line of reasoning and apply it in a church scenario. We have someone that comes from a denomination and wants to be a member of the Lord's Church that meets here at Oldham Lane. And we tell them, here are the requirements, so to speak. Our elders sit down with that person, study with them, tell them this is what it means, not to be a part of the Oldham Lane Church, but to be added to the Lord's Church as a whole. We walk them through the gospel, the correct response to the gospel, and they say, I've done that. So can I be a member? And how do we respond? Do we say no? Being a Presbyterian doesn't make it Church of Christ. Being Baptist doesn't make you Church of Christ or vice versa. How do we respond? You know, sometimes people get caught up in this and members of the church get a little bit aggravated when someone is accepted, feeling that they didn't properly meet the requirements even though they were baptized for the remission of sins. Why is that not enough? I think I told you this story before, but when I was living in Missouri, there was a, a Christian church in town that had split. You understand that this was uh, um, a branch of the Christian church that was very much like the Church of Christ. Probably our main difference was instrumental music. This church is split, and so many of the members there wanted to come and worship with us at the Mill Street congregation. And so they asked the question, what do we have to do to be a member of the congregation here? And our elders sat down with each of them individually. Some of them were couples, some of them were individuals. Sat down with them and, and, and talked to them about the gospel and, and uh, you know, responding to the gospel properly, what faith and repentance and confession and baptism all means and being added to the Lord's church. And we discovered most, if not all, of those people had done that. Because that was, that was what was taught. They had grown up believing that that's what you do. That's how you answer the gospel. They had a conviction of their sin. They, in faith, repented, confessed, and were immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of their sins. And so they asked the question, we've done that, so what do we do? And our elders said, well, I mean, we feel like you're a part of our congregation. Now, some of them, and in some cases we see this, 
they answered the invitation anyway. They felt it was proper, and the elders encouraged that they may answer the invitation because while they don't need to be rebaptized, maybe they need to seek uh, you know, repentance because uh, maybe they felt they had worshipped incorrectly. But why do we require someone to be rebaptized when they've already met that requirement? Is it to appease members in the Lord's church? Is it because we feel like our water is better? That salvation can really only be found at the bottom of our baptistry? Because I can tell you, it caused a little bit of commotion at our congregation for a while. I can remember one evening, one couple coming forward, they answered the invitation, they expressed their desire to be a part of our congregation. It was a couple that we had studied with and felt confident that they were baptized for the remission of their sins. And... So in our mind, they were, they were a part of the congregation there that met at Mill Street. And I could hear a gentleman behind me say, well, are we just going to accept everybody now? And so I talked to him after services, politely asked him what he meant by that comment. He said, I just don't want to see us bending the rules for everybody. And I said, well, I don't either. But what rule did we bend? And he said something to the fact of, well... I think it would be a good idea if they just got baptized again. I think that would, I think that would make, make everybody happy and satisfy everybody's, you know, uh, maybe anxiety about the issue. And I said, okay, so tell me where in the Bible that a scriptural reason for being baptized is to please everybody else. I don't find that, do you? So, rebaptism is one of those issues you may or may not know, has caused problems for a very long time. In fact, going back many centuries, it has caused problems. It's a difficult topic. You may be surprised to learn that Alexander Campbell was baptized by a Baptist minister in 1812. And for some members of the Lord's Church, they, they thought that this was uh, an embarrassment. How could Alexander Campbell, as some thought, our founding father, right? Although he's not. How could he be baptized by a Baptist minister, right? And so many people tried to explain it away. In fact, there's one gentleman by the name of Austin McGarry. You may know that name. He founded the Firm Foundation. He was so appalled by this that he tried to suggest that he was probably baptized sometime later by someone who was a member of the church. David Lipscomb, of course, spoke out against this and said, that's ridiculous. That's, you, know, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's speculative. Men like Lipscomb, J.A. Harding, J.W. McGarvey, they all believed that a, a disciple's depth of understanding should not be the determining factor as to the validity of one's baptism. Others, however, like McGarvey and J.D. Tant, they vehemently disagreed. They believed that if one's understanding was wrong, that their baptism was wrong, period. Those associated with the gospel advocate at the time were so strongly opposed to rebaptism that in 1184, Austin McGarry and Elijah Hansborough decided to start their own publication known as the Firm Foundation. And one of their major reasons for starting the Firm Foundation was to promote rebaptism. So this has been an issue that's gone on for a long, long time. And we're not going to get into the great age-old debate, but it is my belief that rebaptism is an issue that we should visit from time to time. And I believe that rebaptism is appropriate in some cases. Many people have doubts about their baptism. Some people were baptized at a very young age. 
And as they've gotten older, they question whether they really understood what they were doing when they got baptized. And maybe they think, I need to do it again. Some people were sprinkled as an infant, and so they questioned the validity of their baptism. Some people were at church camp, and they saw others getting baptized, and they saw the fanfare and the celebration, and they wanted to be a part of that. So on an impulse, they decided to get baptized. And now they realize that that probably wasn't the best reason for doing so. A lot of questions surround the issue of baptism in people's minds. When is baptism necessary, or when is rebaptism necessary? Well, let's start with when it's not necessary, okay? Rebaptism is not necessary to catch up with knowledge. You don't have to get rebaptized every time you learn something new or every time you gain a new level of understanding for the Bible. What do you have to know in order to become a Christian? What level of knowledge do you have to attain to become a child of God? Well, you need to know the gospel message, right? You need to have a conviction of your sin, and you need, how to, you need to know how to respond to the gospel. That's really it, isn't it? What more do you need to know besides that? Now, even the Great Commission tells us there are other things that you need to learn as you go along. But as far as to be a disciple, you don't have to have not a perfect knowledge of the Bible. In fact, you'll never have that. But you don't have to know the Hebrew and the Greek. You don't have to know what the book of Revelation really means. All you need to know is the gospel message, have a conviction for sin, and know how to respond scripturally. And you don't have to be rebaptized every time you reach a new level of knowledge. So many times we question baptism because we think, maybe I didn't know enough. Did you know the basics? Did you know essentially what you needed to do in that moment as a sinner? If so, then you knew all you needed to know. But rebaptism is also not a restart. You don't get rebaptized to get a fresh start. The biblical purpose for baptism is not to turn over a new leaf. It is for the remission of sins. If someone feels guilty because they have fallen away and they want to start over, they don't need rebaptism. You know what they need? They need repentance. They need to come to God with a humble and contrite heart and ask for forgiveness. The proper biblical response to someone who has strayed after being baptized is repentance, not rebaptism. Rebaptism is not to appease others. As I mentioned a while ago, there are some churches that I've come in contact with that believe no matter if you were baptized scripturally or not, you've got to do it again in order to be a member here. That's not a biblical purpose for baptism. There are some churches that demand you be baptized in order to be counted on their role. That's not a scriptural purpose for baptism. If we're going to talk scriptural reasons for baptism, one of them is not to appease others. Kind of like the gentleman that uh, got baptized, he came out of the water and he looked at his wife and said, I hope you're happy. All that guy did is get wet. Because baptism is for the remission of sins, not to please others. We've got to be careful not to reject someone that God has accepted. I mean, all too often, some established members of a congregation might feel better if a person is baptized in their sight so that they can know beyond the shadow of a doubt 
that they have been, but folks, you don't know if I've been baptized. You don't know that. None of you were there the day I was baptized. You're taking me at my word, and ultimately, that's what we have to do. And our shepherds do a good job of that, of sitting down with someone, studying with them, making sure they understand the proper mode, the proper purpose, all of those things. And if they feel they can answer that with the right conviction, the right heart, then they're all in. When one initially obeys the gospel, there are many elements of truth that he or she has yet to learn. You know, maybe the new creature in Christ worshipped at a church that did not function in a scriptural matter. Maybe, maybe they have worshipped incorrectly by adhering to practices that are not included in the New Testament. But to, man, to demand that they be rebaptized against their personal conviction that their baptism is scriptural just isn't right. Now, there is, of course, times when rebaptism is totally necessary. Let's talk about a few of those. You can probably guess some of them. Rebaptism is necessary when your previous baptism was by sprinkling or pouring. You know, we've talked about this before, but when we talk about the different modes of baptism, as we call it, we talk about immersion, we talk about sprinkling, we talk about pouring, you do understand that there's really not three different modes of baptism, right? There's only one mode of baptism. There's only one baptism. Sprinkling is not baptism. Pouring is not baptism. It cannot be classified as baptism. The Greek doesn't support that. And as we said this morning, that's not even bad Greek. That's just not even Greek. The Greek, the original language, only supports immersion. You know, the Greek Orthodox Church baptizes infants, but they immerse them because they understand the word. They understand what immersion means, what baptism means. And so if you were sprinkled or poured, water was poured over you when you were an infant, that's not the proper mode of baptism. But it's also a case where you couldn't believe, you couldn't repent of anything, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, what have you done as an infant? What did you do in the womb that would cause you to have sin and thus the need for baptism? Plus the fact that you're only getting a baby wet because they can't believe and repent and confess, which is also part of the salvation process. So that would constitute a reason for rebaptism. In the truest sense of the word, there is no baptism void of immersion. Genuine baptism is only necessary one time in a person's life. Once a person has been baptized according to the fullness of scriptural instruction, he or she never has to repeat this new birth again. After an individual has entered into the family of God through baptism, he or she is a member of the church, the household of God. The new Christian now has access to all the spiritual benefits that come with being in Christ. And although the new Christian is not sin-free from that point forward, it's not necessary for he or she to continually be rebaptized for sins committed because through the avenue of prayer, he or she has forgiveness when they come in, in humble repentance to God. So it's only something that should happen one time, but there are times when maybe our previous baptism was not done in the scriptural order of things. And one of these is when baptism is by sprinkling or pouring. Along those same lines, baptism that is void of the proper purpose. 
would be a reason for rebaptism. As we said a while ago, if you, were, if you were told to get baptized just simply to be added to the church role, that's not a proper purpose for baptism. If you were baptized as an outward sign of an inward faith, that's not the proper purpose for baptism. Baptism, as we talked about this morning, is where we contact the blood of Christ. That blood washes away our sins. And so, in order to be in Christ, we have to submit to the proper purpose of baptism. Infant baptism presents a case for rebaptism, as I said a while ago. And baptism without faith or repentance is also uh, good grounds for rebaptism. I heard the story one time of, uh, of a gentleman that he wanted to be baptized again. He didn't truly know why. And so the preacher sat down and he talked with him and he got up wanted to be baptized that next Sunday morning, and they immersed him. He got up, he, he took all the hugs and the handshakes from everybody, he left the church building, never darkened the doors again. Come to find out, as, as more and more people encouraged him to come back to church, and they talked with him and, and tried to, and, uh, to get him back, it became clear that he didn't truly understand the purpose of baptism. In his mind, it was therapeutic. It was turning over a new leaf. It was a restart. He had had some pretty difficult things happen in his life. Some of them were self-inflicted, so he decided to get baptized, thinking that would fix all of his problems. He didn't have a good understanding of what faith is, what repentance is, and what the whole process involves. When we don't understand what precedes baptism, we need to do it again. Rebaptism is necessary when it when it doesn't have faith and repentance before it. And so these are just some examples of when rebaptism would be appropriate. You know, I often hear folks make the statement, I was baptized when I was young, and I'm not really uh, sure I understood at the time what I was doing. And what we commonly say or respond with is, well, you know, if you have any doubt, just do it again. You know, if, if, it, was, if it took the first time, then you're not doing anything but getting wet. But if it didn't take the first time, then then you did it the right way. I'm not sure that's the best answer. I don't think that always satisfies the requirements of scriptural baptism. You don't get rebaptized after you've fallen away. You don't get rebaptized simply for peace of mind. There are, there are times when rebaptism is necessary, and there are times when we just need to repent. The response sometimes to get our lives in order is not to get baptized again and to restart everything, to turn over a new leaf and all those kind of things. Submitting to baptism again can be necessary, but a lot of times what is necessary is repenting, making our life right with Christ because we have been baptized in the past. And what we need is not rebaptism, but rather we need repentance. Now, this is a subject that has, has become so confusing in our, in our world. As we said this morning, the, the waters have been muddied to where a lot of people are just confused. They don't know what to think anymore. To me, it's not that hard, and I know to some of you it's not either. Let's not assume that everyone else has it figured out, though, because you look across the religious landscape, and it can be a rather confusing subject. 
I thought about this the other day. I was preaching in Breckenridge for three days last week, and I'm driving down the road, and on this one particular road, there are four churches. There's a Presbyterian church, there's the Church of Christ, there's the Methodist church, and there's a Catholic church across the street, all right there in the same general area. Is this what God intended? I mean, I don't mean to be cruel, but is that what God intended? Because you can go to every one of those churches and find completely different teachings, even on baptism, which is how we become a Christian, right? Is that what God intended? At some point, we've got to land the plane on truth. What does God, God's Word say? What, it, what does it mean for us? You know, I, have a, I had the opportunity a, a few weeks ago to preach in Red River, New Mexico, as I do every year. And, and one of the great benefits of that is we, all the speakers stay in the same complex. And in the mornings and the evenings, we just sit around and we talk. And so I'm in a room with Bill Watkins, Jeff Jenkins, Ralph Gilmore, Trey Morgan, Jacob Hawk, all these guys that I love and respect and admire, and we're all sitting there, and we get to discuss some of these topics. And one of the things we talked about is, is how do we make a dent in this world that is so confused about spiritual matters? When so many people are, are so indoctrinated, holding so closely to a teaching that they don't even want to go and consider anything else. We talked about the lady that, that ripped Acts 2.38 out of her Bible. She didn't want it in there. She didn't believe that it was necessary. I mean, how do we get through? In a world that is just meandering in all different directions when it comes to the Bible and, and to, to what truth actually is, and everybody's got their own truth, how do you make a dent? I think we'd be logical and we'd be reasonable. I think we'd be loving and compassionate and we always side with truth. What does God's word say? We present that and we do our best, but at the end of the day, we can't force feed anybody, can we? And, you know, when it comes to the issue of rebaptism or even baptism in general, again, we've got to be logical and reasonable here. The scriptures are not confusing about this. They're just not. Now, rebaptism can be a difficult issue. Hopefully, we've answered some of those difficult questions tonight. But if you need to study with someone about that, with baptism or rebaptism, let us help you with that. We want to make sure that at the end of the day, you're right with God, because that's the most important thing. I think sometimes, though, we see baptism and rebaptism as a magical cure all, that that's just going to fix all of my problems. That's not the case does fix your sin problem. If you need to fix your sin problem, then why not do that? Why would you wait on that? And if we can help you in any other way, please let us do so. And if you have further questions about this, let me know. Send me an email or a text, and, and let's help you through it. Our elders, staff, we want you to be right with God. If you have a need tonight, we can help you with. Come now as we stand and as we sing.